Hello, and welcome to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a child therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. And this is a podcast dedicated to play therapy, mostly child-centered play therapy. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about what play is to begin with. This discussion of play is going to focus more on what is play as a whole, what is play in culture? How do we all play all the time to give us a better understanding of what it is that we're doing when we conduct a play therapy session? And I said, what is play in culture? Because I believe that with a lot of the people that I talk to and see, especially parents, that play is often misunderstood. Play is seen as something silly. People say that children are just playing when they're out and they're doing something, but there is no such thing as just playing. It's dismissing the importance and the gravity that play entails. So let's spend a little bit of time trying to figure out what this thing called play is. Play exists inside of a set space. There is a space where different rules and different roles and different relationships to power and control apply. Play gives us the opportunity to be different kinds of people. It gives us the opportunity to have different motives for the things that we do. We can be competitive in play and work towards a particular goal that doesn't really have any meaning outside of the play context. Sports are like that. Lots of things fall into the category of play. It is simply a space where different kinds of roles apply that do not apply outside of that space. And all play has particular rules that it needs to follow. I think we can all think of a time when we have been playing with a child and they have let us know that what we just did isn't okay. It doesn't follow the rules and the structure that they have in mind for this space. We allow children to create most of the rules and structures, or at least to create the structure that fits into the structure that we are providing in the play therapy space. And kids take that play and those rules very seriously. And they do that for good reason. They are setting up something that they have been drawn to play out, and the thing that they have set up that needs to be drawn to play out must be done in a particular kind of way. There's nothing more frustrating for children, or for anyone for that matter, when someone cheats, which is breaking the rules of play, usually in a competitive game. Or sometimes there'll be a group of children, and then maybe one child will decide that they now have some kind of power or control, and they do something inside of the play. And then the other children say, oh no, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that inside of this. You can't throw a bomb and destroy our village. There are no bombs in this And then maybe they could fight back and say, well, our village can't be destroyed. And then they're sort of in a power struggle. And what that struggle is about is who is controlling the play? Who gets to make the rules? 
And when play is done in a way that's cooperative, when people are in sync together, everyone is in sync about those rules. There's an understanding that those rules exist. When players play a basketball game or a football game, which is play, there are rules and structures for that that everyone agrees to in advance, that everyone knows what they are in advance. People are working towards the same goal. Um, When, say, a competitive game happens outside of like an organized sporting event and someone decides that they just don't care anymore and they're not following the rules, they could be a spoil sport. If someone is having a hard time in the game and they're losing, they could be a sore loser and someone in that position can upset the rules of the game. But the rules that need to be followed inside of the game in our sessions come from the child. But all of that is very serious. Which isn't to say that there aren't points of humor inside of play or lightness. I mean, all of us go to work and have jobs. Some of us are not privileged or uh, blessed. I don't like that word. Enough to be able to work with children all day. But even anyone who goes to work can have fun at work can have a good time at work, and that they're still working. Inside of play, things can be silly, things can be random, things can be not serious at times, but in general, play is a serious thing, and it follows a serious structure, and there are roles and hierarchies and rules that are important to follow. There's a level of pretending that is important to follow. There is a level of of emotion, of theater involved in play that is important to follow. We can all maybe think of a time, and I attribute this thing that happens to males, though I'm sure, you know, other genders do it as well, where children are playing and they have a game going. I can think of a time recently where I had this, where two children were little puppies. This isn't in a play session. This is just at a at a party, at a gathering of people. And they're puppies. And someone else, at this point an older male, comes into the play with a lot of energy and a lot of excitement. And they are, you know, say their intentions are good, though at some point intentions don't matter all that much. But they want to be with them and they want to be having a good time with them and they're drawing the kids energy to them the kids are also happy that this is going on so they allowed this adult while they're doing this uh we're two puppies who are siblings and live in this little doghouse they're allowing this adult to be a part of this play to change the rules of the play they're giving this person power as they're coming into this situation with a lot of energy and charisma and humor And the children are drawn to that. This adult, after playing with them for a short time, then left. You know, went back to hang out with other adults. Wanted to have a little bit of time with the children. Was pulled into that and then went back to something else. The children, when they went back to resume their play, began fighting about the play. One of them wanted to go back to how things were before. The other one wanted to stick with some of the roles that had been happening already at the time. And with the two of them combating like this, they then got in trouble with other adults who were saying to them, like, you guys need to learn how to play nice. You need to learn how to behave. You need to calm down or whatever that is. And those kids 
had a thing going. They had play going. They had play that was existing in this space inside of the party in general that wasn't existing where the adults were. They had their own sort of private set-aside space. And when someone else from outside of that space came in, changed everything up, changed the roles, and then went back, they weren't able to reset inside of their play. The rules of their play were violated. The territory of their play was violated. The emotional energy contained inside of that space had something else come into it, and it was interrupted. In our play therapy sessions, that doesn't happen. We're with a child, and it's just us, and it's just them, and they're taking the lead, and they're deciding the roles, and they're imprinting themselves onto the play that is happening inside of the room. They let us know when... Oh, we can't do something that we just did because that doesn't fit into the play that's going on at the time. Children don't have that opportunity as often as they deserve. I'm recording this podcast while looking out the window at my neighborhood. I very rarely see kids playing outside. When I have kids in session and I talk with them, they often talk about video games. That would be the topic that comes up more often than anything else. And I'm not some sort of blanket video games are evil and are rotting the souls of our children and depriving them of their potential to have an expansive emotional life. I wouldn't put myself in that category. However, when someone is playing a video game, they are not creating the rules of that game. The person who made the game is creating the rules. And the child can find themselves and find some expression, perhaps, inside of the set rules in front of them, but they're playing this by themselves, and they're not making their own rules, and they're not making their own roles, and they're not able to imprint themselves on the experience, which is very different than a neighborhood gang of children running around, playing in the alleys, riding their bikes, whatever it is, that has some level of cohesion that does play through things creatively and imaginatively at times. And because it's a little knit group of people, is able to have some consistency inside of their play and some managing of relationships inside of their play, um, so long as, say, one person isn't dominating the whole play experience, which does happen frequently when children play together because they're used to hierarchical relationships in their lives. Something that feels worth pointing out. If we're saying that the two basic qualities of play is that it exists in a set space, it has set rules and roles that are different than the rules or roles outside of that space, then a lot of life can be categorized as play. I do not want this to sound offensive, but I'll just say it anyway. The biggest example that comes to my mind is church or religious gathering of people that meet inside of a set space that have rituals and ceremonies and routines that exist in that space that inside of the church, mosque, synagogue, whatever, 
power and privilege and a belief of connection to the beyond in some form or perspective on the beyond in some form is given to usually one individual or a few individuals and the congregation gives them that authority over their lives and that they exist in their own ecosystem of play. And when I say that, I don't mean it in a derogatory way at all. We need more spaces that have play in them. School is its own form of play. There are rules. There's a space. There's the role of student. There's the role of teacher. All students, ah, I say all, a lot of students would pretend to maybe have a higher interest in the material than they would otherwise might uh, fib or lie about not completing something because they want to maintain the status as a good student, which means something inside of that space. Jobs are like that. We give power to our bosses. We take on the role of employee. We accept that we will pretend that our boss or the people who have a higher position than us wherever we work know more, are deserving of more respect, are more capable and knowledgeable than the people below them, regardless of whether we believe that internally or not, or whether that is the case or not, because that is the rules and roles inside of the jobs that we work at. We play all day, and we play in all kinds of locations, and a person's ability to be a dynamic and fluid and capable and assertive and confident person in this world requires them to recognize the structures of the situation that they're in, to exist inside of those structures, to be comfortable enough to take on different roles as needed for the people that they're around. And someone at their best is able to do that comfortably, is able to take power when that's what's needed or when that's what they feel drawn to, when they have something to give to the people around them through that power and through that role. Someone who plays well also requires that you can take a bad seat, that you can follow someone else's lead, that you can have enough perspective and empathy and awareness of a given situation to be able to know the structure that someone else is providing, to know how to be able to fit into a structure that somebody else has made, to know how to assert yourself where you can assert yourself, to be passive when you can be passive, to be supportive when there's space to be supportive. Because playing happens even inside of our families. We have a role that culturally many people ascribe to mothers or fathers or sons or daughters or children or siblings. Someone's ability to play well, and by well I mean to play through things, to not have these emotions that they get stuck in when they're playing, to not have a preoccupation with power or control, is maybe the most essential part of the human experience. It's more powerful than knowledge. It's more powerful than strength. It's more powerful than really anything I can think of. With an ability to play, you can carry that into any situation because play requires us to be aware and in tune and in connection 
both with ourselves and what we need and what we're feeling and how to respect ourselves, but also with others, knowing where they're at, knowing where, who's in control, what is the structure of the space, and how can I connect to people inside of these roles and relationships that we're existing in at the moment. So there is no such thing as just play or children just playing. There is only life and living it and living it in connection with others. And when we are living life in connection with others, no matter where we are, we are probably also playing. So even when we're with a child in a session and we're not sure what's being played out or we're to, we don't know like, ah, we're just playing this boring game where you cooked me food again. Or, oh, we're just playing out this thing that you saw in a video game. We're just doing something that feels like dry and boring and stale. Because some play does feel dry. And in a sense, it is dry. It is boring. It is stale. It is devoid of life and form and feeling and dynamism. But my guess would be that the child who is playing in that way does not have a lot of experience with play and does not have a lot of experience with that part of themselves. And playing out those concrete structures is an initial step to them being able to play more dynamically and deeply and with the, being able to imprint more of themselves from their unconscious onto the play. Learning how to play and learning how to be yourself and play and learning how to respect others in play is valuable in itself. It doesn't have to look like someone playing out a particular trauma or family situation or other kind of circumstance. Playing in itself is important and kids need the practice. Playing also can be a vehicle for that deeper awareness of the past or the present for that understanding of the pain that someone has experienced. And at its best, we get there with the children that we work with. We enter that creative, mysterious, healing place where we have access to all of them and the child is able to connect to the reality of their past. But even that dry and boring play is a child that is taking little baby steps in the way that they can in that moment towards playing and learning how to play and being playful. Kids will play naturally, and they play naturally when given the space and the time for a reason. Almost all children, at all times, would rather be playing, and that's not because they're easily distractible or because they're avoiding something. It's because it's important for them to play. And that's all I've got for this episode of Playtime. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. If you have any thoughts or questions or ideas or just something came up for you during this and you want to reach out, please do. My email is barnettchildtherapy at gmail.com. And see you next time.